Welcome to the Food Junkies Podcast. Here, we aim to provide you with the experience, strength, and hope of professionals actively working on the front lines in the field of food addiction. The purpose of our show is to educate you, the listener, and increase overall awareness about food addiction as a disease with abstinence as the solution. Here, we talk about all things recovery. Most importantly, how to thrive rather than just survive. So stay positive, make a change for yourself, tell others about your change, and hopefully the message will spread. On today's episode, we are sharing a personal story of recovery from our first food addiction research clinical study group. Today, you will meet Catherine Kiersey. She is a CrossFit Level 3 trainer. I met Catherine two years ago when I began exploring the world of CrossFit. Her and her husband, DK, had just opened a CrossFit gym in Muskoka, and I was pumped to check it out as I've been watching the CrossFit games for years and was always inspired by their strength and level of fitness. However, I was also super intimidated by the weightlifting and learning a lot of these new movements. When I showed up for my first session with Catherine, she was so kind and welcoming and in what appeared to be fantastic shape. I was actually checking out her muscles the entire session. Oddly enough, we spent our session talking about all things sugar addiction and what I did for a living. She was super interested in the world of nutrition, educated me on how CrossFit was moving towards a similar model of eliminating sugars and how she had her own personal struggles with sugar. Now, just so you know, most people, when I explain what I do for a living, tell me that they think they're a food addict and they're definitely addicted to sugar. And for some of them, this may be true to some level of degree for sure. So when Catherine told me this, I didn't actually give it much thought. When I posted on Instagram for our first group in May last year, I got a message from her saying, I'm in. I responded with, really? Are you serious? I find it funny now that I, based on her appearance and her interest in nutrition, assume she couldn't really be a sugar addict, even though my own story of looking a certain way and being a fitness fanatic was so similar to hers. This disease affects all body sizes, even the fittest of us with the best abs. Side note, I just messaged Catherine to send me a photo of her for our website, and she sent me a picture of her and DK in the hospital. Her water has just broken, so by the time this episode airs, she will be a new mom in recovery. We love Catherine's energy, and we know you will too, as she shares some of the challenges in the beginning of her journey, the challenges of getting pregnant in recovery as well. You can't help but smile when you hear her passion and her joy. We know you're going to love this episode. Catherine is just a fantastic, amazing inspiration to us all. Enjoy the show. All right. We are so excited to share a personal story of recovery today with Catherine, who was involved in our first treatment group for the food addiction research clinical study we are doing. And so she's going to share a little bit of her story. Welcome, Catherine. Hi, thank you guys for having me. I'm really excited to sit down with you guys. I've listened to the podcast and all these incredible speakers. And I I feel kind of honored just to be a part of it. So thank you. (laughs) So Catherine, can you share with us your personal story with food addiction to recovery? Kind of what was your aha moment and what was it like before you started recovery? So I remember when you and I, Clarissa, had our intro conversation before joining the group. 
and you asked me if I thought I had a food addiction. And my response to you was, I don't think so, but everyone around me thinks I do. (laughs) Um, I was definitely in a lot of denial about my, my diet, my food journey, how I was eating because I felt like I was a healthy person. I own a CrossFit affiliate. I have all of my nutrition qualifications. And I was someone who would be able to stick to a diet for like 30 days, try with something new, be like, yeah, I got it. And then I'd go back to regular eating habits. So um, doing the program with you guys and continuing to do the program with you guys, kind of a lot of green lights started to come on. And I was like, oh, maybe there's something here. A big part was when you had us write a breakup letter to sugar. And I remember reading it to my husband and he's like, this is the saddest thing I've ever heard because I just realized how much of my life involved sugar. You know, happy memories, childhood events, it all was connected back to eating and food. And for me, the sweet stuff. And My family tried really, really hard to give me a healthy, balanced diet. I remember as a kid, I used to get tested for diabetes all the time because I actually drank juice in my sleep. Like it was that bad. And I drank juice in my sleep until I was about 23 and I'm 35 now. I didn't drink water. (laughs) So I'm on a total tangent, but it's so funny that when you're in this world, how it's so easy to black out those red flags. You don't realize they're there. And so since doing the first group with you guys, I cannot say I'm 100% sugar-free. I have mistakes, but my lifestyle is night and day now. And I would say that I practice 98% of the time a sugar-free lifestyle. I feel like a different human being and I am so much better for it. That's amazing. It's amazing to go from this place. Like you're kind of like not seeing it, but people around you are maybe giving you some information or you start asking and they're like, absolutely 100% yes. You know? And so you you're willing to give it a try. Like what was the thing that like got you to the place where you said, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and try this group. Like what, what got you there? You guys had your Instagram post and Clarissa had posted it. And my husband sent it to me as a joke. He was like, ha ha ha, this is you. And I was like, ha ha ha, yeah, it's definitely me. There was one line and I'm totally going to mess this up. So I apologize where it was like, I'm able to start something, but I'm not able to stick to it. And that was like, hmm. And then there was also a line about planning things around food which was something I did a lot. Like we would go for walks and I'd never tell my husband or my friends where we were going, but there was always like a bakery on the way or a certain snack I wanted to try. I was planning my life around my sweet treats. I'm lucky. I have an incredible community of friends. And so DK and I were teasing, sorry, DK is my husband. And I sent it to a few of my friends and they're like, yeah, there might be a little bit more to this. So being in complete denial, because again, I lift heavy. I'm not someone you'd look at and you'd go, oh yeah, there's eating issues there. I decided the worst case scenario is if I joined the group, I would learn a lot and I would become better with my clients. And I was like, best case scenario, a huge green light's going to come on and things will change and things will get better for me. And thankfully it was, well, it was a bit of both, but I, I got the personal development through the ladder, which was really, really nice. So when I first met you, I actually came to you to train me how to do CrossFit. 
And, <laughs> and, you know, then we generically had this conversation about, you know, what I did for a living and kind of the story of addiction and all of this. Now, do you think that you were able to manage your food addiction symptoms, which might have been weight gain, through your very active lifestyle? Do you think that played a part? And do you think that, you know, this could be something that happens in a lot of fitness communities? A hundred percent. You know, I, I was telling you guys a little bit before I was talking about this with my husband in the car today. And we were saying, you know, at first glance, you would probably think, oh, someone who works in the fitness industry who, who struggles with sugar, you'd be like, oh, she's probably the rare exception. I think I might be closer to the norm. You know, when you work in our incredible industry, first of all, you have a high energy job. You are burning all the time. You're dancing, you're moving, you're laughing, you're talking to people. It's, it's fun. It's physical. But you also have a lot of time to train. So, And it's a very demanding job. So you have this aesthetic pressure in this industry to always make sure that, you know, you, you practice what you preach. But especially in a role like Tim in ownership, you don't have a lot of time to focus on your own nutrition and sometimes your own training, especially since we've opened our gym and we love it to the moon and back. You know, some days we're lucky if we get 30, 40 minutes in. It's hard. So to be able to do the prep and the meal plan and eat right is difficult. So I do think a lot of people in our industry do kind of secretly struggle a little bit behind closed doors. And, you know, I've worked with a lot of people too. You know, I, I don't do my own nutrition. I, I like trusting other people. I'm, I'm not responsible for myself. And I've worked with phenomenal people who have told me, you know, you're not getting your carbs in. Have you considered eating cereal as a regular part of your diet? Like Fruit Loops will get that up. So I think we're a little misguided and I'm excited to see the industry start to change. Obviously, I'm more focused in CrossFit. We have a new nutrition program out and the huge component of it is removing sugar from our diet. So hopefully we're starting to see the industry change a little bit in that, that direction, that it's not just about aesthetics, it's about fighting chronic disease and it's about whole health, hopefully. <laughs> Well, and that makes me think about, you know, your own process or your own journey, you know, and thinking about, like you said, kind of worst case scenario, at least you would come to this group and you might learn some information that then you can turn around and help clients with best case scenario, you get, you know, this green light for you turns out it was a little of both. So, you know, thinking about that. And thinking about what's coming for the CrossFit industry, but also, you know, knowing that your journey isn't over, like how hard was it for you in the beginning and how did you find the strength to dig in and keep going? Because I think people are going to need to hear this as these changes come, whether they're in the CrossFit community or in general. I'll be honest, I did not find the very beginning of this super hard. Again, chronic dieter. I love trying different diets and meal plans and everything like that. So if I'm able to set a set amount of time, and in our group, it was 10 weeks, I'm like, okay, I can do 10 weeks. I can visualize that and I can get through that. And having the weekly meetings, having a community to talk to made that really easy for me personally. So so I apologize for people who go the opposite way. But for me, if I have a time frame, I can deal with it. My struggles started more when I was on my own and we weren't having weekly meetings, but they were monthly meetings. A huge thing that kept me motivated was the difference I was seeing in my health. 
I wear a fitness tracker. My recovery had changed. My HRV was up. My resting heart rate was down. I was sleeping better. Like I felt like a new person, but still, you know, it's hard. Temptations creep in. So I'm really bad. I built a new community. That's what I did. So I went to my gym and I said, Hey guys, guess what? We're all going sugar free. And they all went, Yeah. And it was amazing because I don't think I, a lot of people in my community suffer from food addiction. I think for them, it was more of an experiment in health, but we saw people who had serious IBS symptoms completely disappear. We saw people with chronic headaches that where getting giving up sugar made it go away. And now I have this extended community of people who are still on the same kind of mindset right now. I'm fully aware not everyone can create their own sugar-free community as much as I wish they could. But having that buddy system has been really, really, really helpful throughout this time. And it's um, it's made it a lot easier. So you also have kind of a unique challenge in that during this time you went sugar-free, you also got pregnant. So <laughs> yeah, excitingly, obviously. So can you share with our listeners a little bit about what that was like navigating, you know, the cravings or the sickness and like also trying to prioritize food addiction recovery at the same time. Yeah. Well, first of all, getting pregnant wasn't a linear experience for my husband and I. It took years and a lot of work. And unfortunately, we did have to go through the IVF route. And when we started this program, a big reason why I felt confident is the embryo that we had transferred did not have a very high success rate. I am very happy to say that we're almost 39 weeks and everything has come back absolutely perfect. And I have no scientific evidence for this, but we started the program as I was implanting a little bit before. And I do kind of wonder sometimes if having that better diet helped us get here. I I mean, it's just something that stayed in my head the entire time. If I were to ever do it again, I mean, I hope I'm still eating this way the entire time, but I would recommend it to anyone who, who is in their fertility journey. I don't think it can hurt. And I hope I don't get in trouble for saying that I have no background on that. But I was very sick throughout my pregnancy, very sick throughout my pregnancy. And I remember talking to the group because there was a period I could not get anything down in the morning. And the only thing I was able to get down were like these chalk-like bars that had honey in them. And saying the group, I don't know what to do. (laughs) I'm trying to follow the rules and do everything right. But at the same time, I need to eat. And that was the first time I really started to learn a lot more about self-acceptance in this journey and knowing that, you know, you're, it's not going to be perfect, but it's what we do long-term and what we try and do that really does matter at the end of days. And now as we're, we're getting better and uh, we're getting closer and the nausea has subsided, I almost feel like pregnancies help make it easier because I've seen what sugar has done to me and I don't want to do that to any human that I'm carrying. So um, it's been a bit of a motivating factor to make sure that I continue to eat as clean as possible. And it's also kind of worked in conjunction really well with the things that help me to stay abstinent. I need to eat every four or five hours. If I know, I'm going to mess something up. So that is key to me. And it's been great because that's such an important part of pregnancy. And it's also a huge part of what I need to do to make sure that when I eat, 
I'm eating in the best way for me. So it's, it's kind of worked really well together. <laughs> if you want to help your sugar reduction, um, maybe consider getting pregnant. I don't know. <laughs> Probably shouldn't say that too. Sorry. No, I think that's that a, no, absolutely. No, I mean, I think, I think that's, you know, there's something very real in that though. Right. So all the years that I worked in substance abuse, there were many times that I worked with people who were, you know, women who were able to get off the alcohol, the meth, the whatever for that pregnancy, right. There's something that clicks for us when we can put, when we do it for somebody else, especially when we know we're directly impacting them. Now that didn't happen hundred percent of the time. I mean, I don't want to make that be the thing that, that everybody thinks happens, but, but certainly it can be a motivating factor for us, you know, to start making behavior change when we can go like, wait a minute, this directly impacts somebody else in a very big way. It's very obvious that that directly impacts this human we're growing within, within us. But I'm wondering, did these changes that you started to make with the food, with the nutrition, did it impact your relationship with your husband? Does your husband try to eat in a similar way to you? Is he supportive or does he, you know, or is he supportive and he still goes off and, and does something that you're not watching? You're like, oh, I can't see what's happening right now. Like, what has that been like? Oh, my husband's ridiculous. Like, I'm so jealous of him. I remember before I started this program, especially when I lived in the city, because now I live in a bit more of a rural environment, which makes getting cheap foods a lot easier. So I don't really, you know, everything I eat is in my house. So I don't have this temptation that I used to have. But I used to drive on the way home from work and I'd find like a gas station or a Starbucks and be like, okay, I'm going to grab a chocolate bar. I like chocolate. Okay. And I'd finish it. And then I'd throw out the wrapper of the cup and then I'd go home and pretend I never had it. <laughs> I knew that he would be there. And, and he, there'd be that judging look. There'd be that judging look. My husband was a professional rugby player. He could eat chicken and broccoli every single day and be absolutely fine. He does not have the cravings that I have. So when I started this diet, you know, I said, I don't diet is the wrong word. But when I started this journey, I said to him, do you mind? Like, where are you at on this? And he's like, you're doing it. I'm doing it. The big difference is he's doing it. It seems to be a lot of work. And I'm sure it has been. There have definitely been lifestyle changes for him through it. And he's also learned a lot through it. But he's been my biggest cheerleader throughout it. And also genuinely believes in, you know, this lifestyle. So for him, he's been nothing but an awesome cheerleader and support system. You guys post so many great things. And I like to listen to them and read about them and do a little bit more. I'm actually reading Metabolical right now, which is killing me a little bit inside. It's so good, but like, oh, hard truth. And it's created um, a lot of conversations between my husband and I about our future child and making sure that we keep his diet in line to what we believe, because we're very aware that sugar is a part of our culture for now. And hopefully in a decade, it won't be, but right now it's not going anywhere. So we've decided that until he's the age of three, we do not want to have any sort of refined sugars in our house. We're, we're fine with things like fruit. You know, when there's fiber there, that's cool. We appreciate that. But outside of that, we, we want to be a household where, where we promote that. And it's, it's just cakes and cookies aren't something that's really known. And I was saying to Clarissa on a different chat, it's been really hard finding formula. I'm hoping to breastfeed, but we all know that life can go many, many different ways. And I had to source my formula from Norway and Switzerland. <laughs> 
because it was the only place I could find formula without added sugar. So if anyone knows of a more local sugar-free option, please let me know. But I found that absolutely crazy and crazy that just from birth, we're, we're feeding people added sugars that we don't need to do. So it's been interesting. So yeah, it's become a bit of a family journey and um, I really appreciate his support on it because uh, let's not lie. When you're, you're giving something up there, there can be mood swings. Like you're not a super happy, nice person all the time. And, you know, sometimes you're sitting there and you're like, we should do this. And it's really nice to have that person next to you be like, think about this, like really sit back for a moment. Do you really want to do this? And you're like, okay, you're, you're right. Like I kind of hate you for it, but you're right. (laughs) So what are some things that you have been doing for daily food addiction recovery? Like how do you stay connected to your food addiction recovery? My biggest thing is I need to plan. And I think a huge blessing of mine is that I live in a really, really small town where (laughs) the closest grocery store is actually a 20-minute drive each way. So I think I have a luxury that a lot of other people don't have, that fast food isn't an option. I can't Uber eat at any point. You know, if I'm going to be in a social situation and food is there, I have a real luxury to plan where I think in a more urban environment, you know, it's much more casual to just go out for coffee or go out for a meal. We have one restaurant in town and it's brand new. (laughs) You know, a lot of temptations that I think a lot of other people might deal with. I've been very lucky. So clearly move to rural environments is the first thing you should do. But for me, planning ahead is a really, really big thing. I know that I make bad decisions when I'm not prepping. So it's, it's a ritual now. I make sure that every week I plan out what I'm going to eat and I'm, I allow for flexibility because it's not possible to cook every single day. It's not possible to, you know, be a gourmet chef all the time. So I need to make sure I'm prepping to make sure I'm prepared. And I just simply don't allow stuff in the house that shouldn't be there. Our house is a very boring, clean house. No one wants to look at our fridge. It's not exciting. And when it's not there, I don't need it. I'm not going to drive 40 minutes to get some sort of snack or something naughty. So my first thing is planning. Social environments are definitely my biggest concern. And I have to admit that I totally messed up at one. And I felt so upset and I was so angry with myself. So a big thing I've learned is forgive yourself, let it go. It happened, move on, no dwelling, get back to it. So I always make sure now that if I'm going in a social situation, I eat before, I go crazy. And if it's a friend's house, I always bring something. And it's something I love. And then I know there's something I can eat. It's my thing and I can just go to town on that and I don't have to worry about anything else. I don't need to make it awkward. Fat, fat and protein. When I'm having cravings, I need fat and protein. That's my everything. And teas. I love an herbal tea. Instead of buying fun candies, I now buy fun fruits. I know fruits don't work for everyone's recovery program, but fruit has not been an issue for me. Frozen cotton candy grapes are like the greatest things on the face of the earth. My sister's boyfriend will kill me for saying that because he told me frozen grapes are bad, but that's okay. He's a dentist. So if you care about your teeth, maybe not. 
And what's great about fruit is there's so many. So you can discover all these crazy things and you can make these new combinations. And fruit's kind of been a little exciting for me. So thankfully, it's not a trigger food for me. So it's allowed me to kind of swap one thing out for another when when I do feel like I need to. And I'm going to use the word reward myself. I know that's probably not the best word to use. But for me, sugar often came as a reward. You know, it was always a happy response. It was a celebration or it was dealing with something. So sometimes I still feel that need where I need, I still connect food to celebration. And I think that's going to take a while to completely get rid of. So it's just been swapping one thing for another. Yeah. So definitely understanding. Okay. So thinking to the community part. So you didn't necessarily go a traditional 12-step route. You created a community within a community that already existed for you. And then hearing you say, okay, you know, fruit isn't a trigger food for you. So exploring different fruit or food in general and still having this, you know, like, hey, celebratory moment with it at times. But like you said, like almost like a harm reduction, like it's not chocolate and cakes and candies and Timbits and whatever else you guys have up there in Canada. It's, it's something like a good, it's a good meal. I'm wondering, do you get caught up in like with your nutrition? Do you get caught up in macros or do you weigh and measure in any way? Because we do have listeners that do feel like they need to weigh and measure food. Is that something that you do? Does that work for you? What are your thoughts on that? I have weighed and measured in the past. I've weighed and measured a lot. I've done conventional macros. I've done old school zone, which is like hardcore way into measuring. I haven't done it for a while. I haven't done it for a while. And that two reasons. First one is right now growing a human. I'm just trying to listen to my body and make sure that I eat organically naturally. And also I really like eating organically and naturally, you know, even not pregnant. I like listening to my body. And I find that when you get that sort of connection, whether it's just through movement or whether it's through meditation, you know, you, you kind of figure out what works for you. I know my portion controls. I know my sizes. I know the fist palm system. I know roughly where I weigh and measure. But um, my focus is always more on a balance plate than macros. So I have a lot of respect for people who have the discipline to do macros. On my personal macros journey, I've often found that I would play with my macros a little too much. So I would always save a little bit extra so I could accommodate what I wanted in my diet every single time. Or, um, you know, I would be eating some really weird things that really wouldn't be a whole health picture to just get there and accommodate. I love macros. I think macros has a really, really good purpose for a lot of things. I think it's a wonderful tool if your goal is sports performance or weight loss. But my goal is to be the healthiest person I can be. I want to live till I'm 100. I want to be squatting full range of motion. I just want to feel really, really good. So for me, that's making sure that I have a balanced plate that I'm eating whole foods, that when I'm in the grocery store, I'm walking around the outside and I'm not going in the middle. I'm trying to avoid anything processed. Keyword trying because we're all human. And that seems to respond best for my body. And is an aesthetic thing or a sports performance thing. I will say in my personal journey, going through the program with you both, I did lose weight. It was not my intention. I was sitting at a comfortable weight to begin with, but my face just like everything kind of went like I was, I did lose weight and I did perform better at the gym. So for me, 
eating balanced whole meals with real food really hits my performance and target goals. So we've heard about all of most of the good stuff. Now we want to talk about, was there any struggles? I think I remember, like you said already, some social events, right? Have been, and and when I first met you, I, I remember hearing about this donut wall, you know, like <laughs> what, and like, how, where do we go in the future with that? And also like, how did your family and friends feel? like about you going on this journey were they did they think that like did you get any backlash from anyone oh a hundred percent and yes I did have a donut wall at my birthday it was phenomenal Uh, (laughs) I'm glad I did that before we started the program because it was really really fun but again we talk about obsessing over food I didn't have to just have a cake I needed specific donuts from a specific place in Toronto they had to get driven up you know like I don't think normal people think like that. Maybe they do, but (laughs) it was a great donut wall. So thank you to my sister for doing all the work on that. We think eating sugar is normal now. We really do. You know, it wasn't always in our diet and the way it is now. And I understand why it's in our diet. My aunt used to work for Kraft in Mondelez. And she was like, trust me, we're not trying to do some evil thing to you guys, but sugar's cheap and it tastes delicious and we're trying to make sales. So it's going to go into everything. But I think most of us, when we think about sugar, we just think of it as a normal thing. You know, you, you, if you say no to the cake or the cookie, if you're at a birthday party and you're like, yeah, no, I'm good. You're kind of the odd one out. And I definitely have some friends who, who are like, okay, Catherine, this is great, but this is a trend. You need to let this go because regular people eat sugar. Like, what are you doing? And again, I have a phenomenal family, super supportive. But when we're together and I'm at a diet or we're having a meal and I'm like, by the way, please don't use margarine. Like, I get it. I know you cook with that, but canola oil, Catherine, mm -mm, not happening. Oh, and while we're at it, can we take out the ketchup? Can we take out (laughs) any sort of added fun thing? No maple syrup. Like you're the worst house guest ever, wherever you go. So it definitely wasn't easy for everyone to understand. And I'd like to say that at this point, Everyone does understand, but that would also be an outright lie. You know, it's, I can understand for a lot of people, sugar is just a regular part of their food and their diet. And it's going to take a long time for that to change. But over time, the people who are really, really important to me have realized that this, this is something I really care about. And although it might mean us both finding adaptations to make things happen, we've been able to figure that out. So Maybe when there's a salad at dinner, I take some salad and I put it on the plate and then they get their dressing and I make my own dressing and little things like that. I try and treat it like a food allergy sometimes with people, which it isn't. But when you put it that way, I think it makes it a little bit easier for people just to kind of set it aside. But no, um, I'd say it's been about 80% good for you, super supportive. I probably wouldn't do that, but great on you. And it's been 20% like that's not normal. And that is weird. And why would you do that? And, you know, it's not a regular conversation to have with someone to be like, you know, I really struggle with sugar. 
I understand you can have a couple pieces and then put it aside, but I'm going to eat the whole egg and then I'm probably going to go out and get something else. I'm not going to lie. I don't have that off switch that you have, but I'm confident that the conversation is starting to change, you know, thanks to you guys and and companies like CrossFit and general health and wellness industry out there. And I do think the tide will change slowly, but yeah, I plan on continuing to get a lot of weird looks as I continue to do this. And I'm okay with that, <laughs> you know? But yeah, it's, um, I, I don't think anyone can expect this to be um, completely 100% normal and supportive. It, it gives you some looks and that's okay. Because at the end of the day, a lot of people... Once they see it, they want to join in on the club. They really do. Yeah, it really... You're right. And at the end of the day, you don't have to explain yourself to anybody, truthfully, right? It just is. And that's how... Those are the choices that you're making for your body and mind and soul, right? And so if that... I mean, if that's the biggest struggle that you're running into right now, that's amazing. And I am so excited and happy for you on this this journey. You know, it, it does make me wonder how you were alluding a little bit to like, okay, food is still a little bit celebratory for me, that kind of thing. Like, are there other things that kind of fall in that 90% of the iceberg we can't see that show up for you where food used to be the tool and now you really have to stop and think about it and use something else instead, but maybe can see yourself like, oh, yep, that's the thing I really want. Yeah. I'm really lucky because as much as I love food, I also adore fitness. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I would when we started this, I worked out a little bit more. I'm not going to lie. The training kind of increased, which maybe is another reason why I was seeing weight loss and performance gains. But I really, I really don't think it was because there's only so much intensity you can train at during the day. Like I'm a big believer in my tight hour, getting it done and letting it go. But um, there were a lot of accessory times and everything like that. I've tried to put a lot of energy into walking and hiking. Thankfully, I live in one of the most beautiful places in the world. So that's very easy to do. Unfortunately, it's also one of the coldest places right now, which makes it a little bit harder. Um, But finding healthy ways of being active outside of the gym has been something that's really helped me. Um, Because again, I don't want to spend all my time in the gym. I'm just connecting to people and connecting to community. You know, there's lots of ways to celebrate. And for me, one of the best ways to celebrate is with people. So instead of having that cake to myself and maybe offering someone else's slice, you know, going and having a little dance party or doing a private workout with a couple of friends has kind of replaced that as a little mini celebration. There's been a lot of celebratory workouts. I'm not going to (laughs) lie. Thankfully, I have a lot of crazy friends. Yeah, you'll find those in the CrossFit community. We're strong. (laughs) So what do you think you needed to hear when you were first starting this journey? Oh, I love this question. I really love this question. My personal journey required me to think of this as a 10-week program. It did. To get through the personal thing, I now see this as something that I see as part of my life. You know, it's always going to be something I'm working on. And I, a lot of people in your podcast, I'm not going to say specifically who because I'll get it wrong, have said like, you know, at the two-year mark, it just it just feels a little bit more normal. <laughs> I'm not at the two-year mark, so right now it's breaking it up into small little goals. I mean, like, I don't need to see this as a big forever picture. I can do this for ten weeks and get through it, and then I feel so good 
that that's my reward to keep going. So if, if you're someone like me and the idea of doing it forever, or maybe, you know, realizing that you are working with a food addiction is hard. Taking little baby steps has been a really, really important part for me to get to that final goal. And stats, stats and data. I'm super type A, seeing my stats, seeing my data, seeing the changes in my body, that keeps me fired up and absolutely amped. I've had a lot of blood tests, shockingly, throughout the past year. And before I started with you guys, my glucose reading was um, 6.8, which isn't causing any red flags in the medical community. You know, it's considered healthy, but still pretty high. (laughs) My most recent one was a 4.2. So if you're like me, having those little markers around has has made a big difference and it keeps me amped and it keeps me fired up. But um, plan ahead, be realistic, forgive yourself when you make mistakes and take it in little blocks. Those have been the things that if I spoke to Catherine at the very, very beginning, I would have been like, these are the four things. And if you do these four things, it's all going to be okay. Oh, I like that. I totally started my journey the same way, Catherine. I was like, 21 days, 21 days of keto. I can do anything for 21 days. And then, right. And then I felt so good. And I was seeing such great improvement in my mental health that I was just like, I never want to go back. So I definitely, I can so relate to that, that piece of, of advice for sure. And like you said, the stats, the seeing your health improve, that there's like these actual, you know, because I think it's really easy for us to just put food in our mouth and not connect it to what's happening to us. Right. Because I think we're so used to like, oh, you're this age that's supposed to happen or, oh, diabetes runs in the family or whatever. Right. So like we've been telling these stories to ourselves and to others for so long, that it's really kind of neat when we can track these kind of health markers and see that it doesn't have to be that way, that there are choices that we can make to start taking care of ourselves and, and take responsibility for this disease. So I just appreciate you telling, you know, anybody who needed to hear that at the beginning or what, what you needed to hear at the beginning. So I'm going to ask a similar question, but a little different. And this is our signature question. What is something that you needed to hear? Or if you could tell a younger version of yourself something about food addiction and food addiction recovery, what would it be? I knew this was coming. And yet still... Oh my gosh. And I've played this through my head so many times. And I had such a hard answer because it's there's just so many parts of this. I'm sorry, I'm going to take a second and make sure I answer it correctly because this is a very important question. You know what? I'm going to change. I had something planned and I'm going to change my answer completely, which is that it's really okay to struggle with food addiction and it's really okay to struggle with sugar because. It's such a normal part of society right now. We don't realize that. And it's absolutely fine to know this is going to be difficult for you and it's going to be a journey. And if you are okay with that and you come to terms with that, it's going to make this journey a lot easier for you. And it's going to open so many incredible doors. And I'm so, so grateful to both of you for giving me this harsh reality and this wake up because it's genuinely changed my quality of life so much for the better. And I'm so grateful for this podcast because there have been times, particularly long drives when you're like, okay, I need a snack and there's no good snack where I just, I turn on this podcast and I listen to it and I'm like, this is why I'm doing this. Like these are the reasons. So Thank you for giving us a community, a virtual community, even if we're not talking, 
where we can kind of go back and connect and know that there's a lot of us out there and that this is normal and we're not alone. And hey, we're going to be so much better for it once we got this all figured out. So beautiful, Catherine. Thank you so much for joining us today. This was so wonderful. Thank you for letting me share. (laughs) Thank you for Um, saying yes. Yeah. Yeah. Anytime. I have a lot of gratitude for you guys. Again, like I can't enforce it enough. You guys have really changed my family, my gym's quality of life because you've opened our eyes to, to something that was always there. And it's, it's just created an entire rabbit hole. So I do have a little fault with you guys because the research has changed. And even my own thought on nutrition going forward is, is, is a completely different world now. But I'm incredibly grateful for that. So thank you so much to you guys for, for what you do. Thanks for joining us this week on Food Junkies, Recovery from Food Addiction. Make sure to join our Facebook group, Sugar Free for Life Support Group, I'm Sweet Enough. You can subscribe to our show in iTunes or Stitchers. That way you'll never miss an episode. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. Don't forget to pick up your copy of Dr. Tarman's book, Food Junkies, which is available on Amazon. If you have any additional questions, both Molly and Clarissa are food addiction professionals and work one-on-one with clients. You can find their websites and email addresses in the show notes. Be sure to tune in every Friday when our new episodes drop. As Vera loves to say, the power is ours.